0: How do you celebrate Christmas? We had the time and took the time and went around the room. We would hear many different answers to that question, many different family traditions, many different ways that people celebrate during this most wonderful time of the year. How do you celebrate Christmas? Well, I want to share with you over the next few weeks together from God's Word some insight into priorities Christians ought to have during this time of year. In fact, some insight into how you and I should celebrate Christmas. And we're going to look at some of the very familiar passages of Scripture about the birth of Jesus, and gain some insight and understanding into what our celebration of Christ ought to look like as followers of Jesus. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Matthew chapter 2, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. One, When you found your place this morning, I'm going to ask you if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. The Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and this comes from the book of Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it has been good to gather as a faith family. To think about, Lord, your heart for the nations. To celebrate this season where we take time to pause and rejoice that Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven and came to this earth. Taking on human flesh, God in the in the, the, the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. We rejoice in that. And Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would, again, open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the truths of Scripture and respond to those truths, that we might be changed. And we'll thank you, Lord, and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated Matthew chapter 1 begins with a genealogy showing us the ancestry, if you will, of the line of Jesus, showing us how he is the fulfillment of the promise uh, to Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham, and the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David. And then in the end of chapter 1, we see how the Lord told Joseph the details surrounding his wife's pregnancy. Though she was a virgin, she would have a child. And the Bible even tells us at the end of chapter 1, this child would be Emmanuel, God with us, and would be named Jesus, the one who saves from sin. And then in chapter 2, we learn of some regal visitors that travel from a far distance to come and see this child who was born to Mary. In fact, they even say we have come to worship him. This is a familiar story, but it is a fascinating story. These wise men, these magi have always uh, intrigued me. And I believe there are there are some truths that are communicated through the story of the wise men. And I want to share with you three of those truths that hopefully will bring to bear on our Christmas what celebrating Christmas looks like. First of all, their origin communicates something. Their origin communicates something. Look back with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. The Bible says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These wise men or magi, it's a translation of the the word magos. Uh, is a very interesting, uh, a very interesting part of God's word to understand who these men were. the The term Magi comes from the word uh, Magos, and this was a title originally given to uh, a Persian priestly caste who played an important role in advising the king. They were called magos, and these were, these were scholars, and these were people who could advise the king in important matters. And they were seen as having some uh, religious background. This term came to be used in a wider sense to speak of Any learned men or priests, especially those who specialize in astrology and the interpretation of dreams. And some even in the magical arts. And so the term magi or magos came to be used in a wider sense of anyone that fit that bill. These magi were found all over the Roman world but were especially associated with the region of Babylon. Babylon. So you can trace the roots of the Magi back to to Persia. These were advisors to the king. You You can trace these Magi perhaps back to Babylon because there's a concentration of them in the Babylonian area of Rome. But the gifts they bring, the gold and frankincense and myrrh, are associated with Arabia. Hence, many scholars believe the wise men came from Arabia. But the fact that the gifts came from Arabia does not necessarily mean the Magi themselves came from there as well. So, here's what we know about the origin of the wise men. We're not sure where they came from. All we know is... They came from the east. That's what the Bible... Now, we can speculate and talk about Babylon or Persia or Arabia. And those are all interesting discussions to have. But we don't know exactly where they came from. We just know they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And the question arises, how did these wise men link the star they saw in the sky... ...to the fact that they were coming to worship the king of the Jews. How did they make this connection? It says they saw a star in the sky that led them to Herod in Jerusalem. And then after they talked to Herod, the star reappeared and led them specifically to to Bethlehem... ...where Jesus was at that time. So how did they make the connection? How did they see a star and say, oh, this star is about a Jewish king? How did they make that connection? Well... They, they were probably well-versed in astrology. And so they were adept at studying the sky and studying the stars and, 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 and understanding the heavenly bodies. By the way, the word star here in Matthew 2 could refer to any heavenly body other than the sun. It could refer to a planet. It could refer to a star. just something they saw in the sky. And they saw this, this new type of star in the sky. That, that stood out. Now, there's a lot of speculation about this star. Uh, what caused this event that they saw? Some believe it was a comet that was streaking through the sky. Some believe it was an alignment of stars or alignment of planets. They made a, a, a you know a spectacular showing in the skies. And again, there's there's interesting discussion about that, but we don't know for sure. Uh, I believe it was probably a supernatural manifestation of God's glory. I believe He just He just, he shined his glory in a way that they said, that's a star. And he led them to Jerusalem, led them to Bethlehem in much the same way that the pillar of fire led the Israelites through the wilderness. We don't know for sure what it was all about. But they saw this, this heavenly body they call a star and it leads them to Israel. And they knew they were coming to worship a king. So perhaps... The Lord appeared to them in a dream and showed them this. Because we know at the end of this text that we read in verse 12, God used a dream to redirect them uh, to uh, away from Herod. They didn't go back to Herod because God said, don't go back to Herod. You need to leave and not go back to Herod because Herod had murderous intentions. And so he communicated to them in a dream. Perhaps he communicated to them in a dream early on. So they understood this, this star was leading them to a king. Perhaps... When they saw the star was heading to Israel, these wise men, these scholars, these learned men, got out a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and began to read uh, from those Scriptures. And maybe they came across a passage like this, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, not near a star shall come out of Jacob, A scepter shall rise rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. They knew that God was going to send a ruler. He was going to send one who would hold a great scepter. And it mentions there, a star shall come out of Jacob. We don't know for sure. But as they investigated the Old Testament scriptures, perhaps were... uh, were communicated to uh, through a dream. They saw the star. They put all that together and said, we're going to worship the king of the Jews. And here, come, here comes this caravan of magi, these, these wise men coming from the east, coming to worship Jesus. What do we learn from that? Here's what we learn. Jesus is for all people. Jesus is For all people. Isn't it interesting at uh, the beginning of Jesus' time on this earth, after he took on human flesh, isn't it interesting that Gentiles are there to worship? This signifies that Jesus Christ came for the Jews and he came for the Gentiles, he came for everyone. Jesus is for all people now how many of you ever have heard of something going on that you that you were not invited to maybe you a party or somebody's getting together and you heard about it through the grapevine and you did not have an invitation to that event now that's not a nice feeling is it it's not good when you hear of somebody getting together and you're not invited that's that's a bad feeling no one likes that feeling But what the wise men remind us of is this. No one ever has to wonder. Listen to me. No one ever has to wonder if they are invited to worship King Jesus. They never have to wonder that. Because the magi show us that that these, these Gentiles could come from the east and worship Jesus. If your heart is beating... If your lungs are breathing, regardless of the language you speak, the color of your skin, your socioeconomic status, regardless of any of that, if you are alive, you are invited to come and worship Jesus. That's good news. Because I've traveled all over the world and with with conviction, Based upon the authority of God's word, I can look anyone in the eyes, anywhere I go, and say, God loves you. Jesus died for you. You can be saved and forgiven and reconciled to God. It's good news, isn't it? Everyone is welcome to come and worship the king. Their origin communicates something important. But secondly... Their gifts communicate something. Their gifts communicate something. Down in verse 11, when they find the child with his mother Mary in the house, it says they opened their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now again, there's been a lot of discussion over these very specific gifts given to Jesus from the wise men. And I believe there is... uh, symbolism here in the gifts that they give to Jesus. For example, they give gold. And I believe the gold indicates that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. It says there, they offered him gifts, gold. Gold is a gift of royalty. The famous Roman orator Seneca said this, gold is the king of metals and was the proper gift for a king of men. In that day and time, gold was seen as a gift fit for a king, the most precious of metals. So when they bring the gold, this is their way of saying, "We we are bringing a gift fit for a king. Remember they said to Herod, Where's the the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. The current reigning king in Israel, Herod, was insanely jealous by this. In fact, he killed all of the the children, two two years of age and younger, because he didn't want any rivals to his throne. But the magi knew the one we're coming to worship is royalty. We're bringing him gold, a gift fit for a king. But not only did they bring him gold, they brought him frankincense. I believe frankincense indicates the reality that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. Frankincense was an aromatic resin obtained by making incisions in the bark of trees. And when it was burned, it gave off a very pleasant odor. According to Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, it was a key ingredient, listen to this, for making the incense that was, that was burned in the tabernacle, in the worship of the Lord. It specifically states in Exodus 30, 37, that this special incense made with frankincense was only for the Lord. It was only to be burned in the worship of God. The basic word incense is used more than one hundred times in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is found in Luke one nine through eleven and Revelation eight three and four. And when it's used in those contexts, it speaks of of a, a a pleasing aroma as you put the, 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 the incense on burning coals, it, it, it caused a pleasing aroma, smoke to, to go up into the air. And that, that, that aroma, that smoke going into the air represented the prayers of God's people to him. It was a pleasing offering, a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. So whenever it occurs in scripture, frankincense or just basic incense, it always has to do with serving God. And so when they give baby Jesus, when they give him frankincense, I believe God wanted that to communicate this one that Mary is holding is fully God. As Colossians 2 says, the fullness of God in bodily form. That's who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And so, William Hendrickson says, the New Testament scholar, it is clear, therefore, that just as gold and king go together, so do also incense and God. So the first gift communicates Jesus is king. The second gift communicates Jesus is God. The third gift communicates this, Jesus will die. Because look what it says in verse 11. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh was a sap that was used in perfume. And it was used as a spice for burial. When they prepared a body for burial, they would use myrrh in that process. And it's interesting to note that after Jesus died on the cross... In John 19, verses 38 through 41, the Bible says, After these things, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh, and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. When they prepared the body of Jesus for burial, they used myrrh. And I believe the gift of myrrh from the Magi to Jesus was foreshadowing the fact that Jesus Christ was born under the shadow of the cross. He came to this earth ultimately to die for your sins... And to die for my sins. And the myrrh is an indicator of that. So I believe these gifts indicate some important realities. In fact, I believe that God orchestrated their gift giving to have great symbolic value. They say, Pastor Wade, are you stretching this a little bit? These gifts have this kind of meaning. Are you, are you kind of, you, you know, grasping at straws here? No, I believe this was orchestrated by God. And the reason I believe that is because over in Isaiah chapter 60, over 700 years before Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, over 700 years before the wise men came, the Bible says in verses 3 through 6, speaking of the Messiah, nations shall come to your light. And kings, to the brightness of your rising, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. Listen, the wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian, Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. Listen, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that God tells us hundreds and hundreds of years before the wise men actually met Jesus that he would be given specific gifts like gold and frankincense that just shows us god orchestrated all of this so these gifts have real meaning they're, they're indicating something to us jesus is king and jesus is god and jesus came to die their gifts indicate something important but third and last their kneeling communicates something their origin Tells us something important. All are welcome to come and worship King Jesus. Their gifts indicate something important. Their kneeling communicates something important. The title of the sermon is Celebrate Christmas on Your Knees. I think we can learn from the ways that the Magi engage Jesus when they meet him. Look what it says there in verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. There are three things about the, the, the wise men's worship that I want you to see. First of all, Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of worship. This story is not ultimately about the star, it's about the sun. It's not ultimately about their treasures. It's about the treasure. It's not about the wise men's wisdom. It's about their worship. That's the takeaway from this passage. Jesus is worthy of worship. And let me show you the kind of worship he is worthy of. First of all, he's worthy of joyful worship. Worthy of joyful worship. There in verse 10, after they had this conversation with Herod, it says, When they saw the star, the star reappeared to lead them to Bethlehem. When they saw the star, look at this phrase, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's a host of words that are stacked up at the end of this verse to communicate how joyful the wise men were. They rejoiced exceedingly above and beyond is what that word means. And it says there, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The word great is is magos, translated great or big or grand. So you may say it like this. They worshiped with mega joy, mega joy. They were joyful and their joy was overflowing. It'd be almost like a saying, They were deliriously happy when they saw the star and they knew they were about to meet the king that God had led them to deliriously happy, exceeding joy, mega joy. Question Does that describe your Christmas celebration? Mega joy? Are you deliriously happy to celebrate King Jesus who took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary, came to this earth for you? Are you filled with joy that overflows? And listen, the main indicator of your answer to that question is not your answer to that question. Your main indicator as to whether or not you celebrate with joy is what do people around you say? Would your family say, my loved one is joyous about the birth of Jesus? Would your co-worker say, my co-worker is filled to overflowing with joy? I mean, Christmas is a big deal to that that person. Would your co-workers say that about you? In your own personal time and reflection upon the Lord, is there joy in your life? Are you excited that Jesus came to this earth? He was worthy of joyful worship. He is worthy also of humble worship. Look what it says there in verse 11. It says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down. These were important men. Some think they were even royalty as to where they came from. They were learned men. They were scholars. They were wise men. They were magi. They were looked to by others for information. And they walk into the house and what do they do? Fall down and worship. The falling to the ground communicates humility in the presence of greatness. It's as if you're saying to someone by that action, You are great, and I, by comparison, am lowly. That's what it means when you bow before someone. So, when they bowed before this child, I mean, a child, unadorned by the trappings of royalty, there's this child in this house. They fall down on their knees, maybe on their faces, as if to say through their posture, This one we've come to see is great. And we are humbled before him. Jesus is worthy of humble worship. Can I encourage you to do something this Christmas season? I think I say this in some way, shape, or form every year. But I think it's a really practical application of this passage. I want to encourage you if you're physically able. I know not everyone's physically able to do this. But if you're physically able... I want to encourage you sometime during this holiday season, this this month of December leading up to Christmas, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2 or Luke chapter 2, which we'll talk about next week. One of the birth narratives, maybe an Old Testament passage like Isaiah 7 about a virgin shall conceive, bear a son named Emmanuel, or Isaiah chapter 9, Everlasting Father. Wonderful counselor, everlasting father, father, mighty God, prince of peace. Find a, a passage about the birth of Jesus and, and actually get down on your knees and read. And just let the scriptures wash over your humble heart. And ask God. To amaze you anew and afresh. Listen, if you're not amazed by the incarnation, you don't get how extraordinary this event was. Jesus is worthy of humble worship. And third and last, he is worthy of costly worship. Notice before it mentions the specific gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, it says opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. These gifts had some some value, some, some monetary value. These were expensive gifts they were giving to Jesus. These were treasures. And they're offering him these treasures. Now I want you to know that Jesus is worthy of worship that costs you something. I'm not specifically talking about financial realities, even though that may be an application for you. You're you're giving to the Lord's work. You're giving to Lottie Moon is is a is a treasure, and you you're, you're you're giving something costly to honor King Jesus. But I think at the The bare essence of what it means to give Jesus something that costs something, it means this. It means that you offer Him your life, everything. Jesus, you are Lord. And I'm not going to just go through the motions of of worshiping you. You are worthy of costly worship. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Enter the house in worship. Jesus was born that you might be born again. If you have neither gold, frankincense, nor myrrh, bring your faith, your love, your repentance, and falling down before the Son of God, pay Him the reverence of your hearts. I like that. This Christmas season, can I encourage you and will you encourage me to pay Jesus the reverence of our hearts? He's worthy of our everything. Amen. He's worthy of full surrender. He's worthy of all of the praise we can bring. He's worthy of costly worship. But let's be honest, come in close. This is really hard in today's culture. I I don't believe there's ever been a time in human history where humans are are as distracted as they are in today's time. Phone, social media, YouTube, entertainment, TikTok. All, we're just distracted. We're bombarded with images all the time. Text messages. We're bombarded. And there's so much noise in our culture. Listen, when was the last time you were just quiet before the Lord? Just you and Jesus. Cell phone in the other room. It's so hard in today's culture to be Quiet and not be distracted, and and, and and the danger is we miss the majesty of this season. A few weeks ago, I loaded up the family. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and we went over to Navarre and hit the scenic highway along the coast. And we drove over to Pensacola Beach. If you haven't made that drive, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful drive. It's just beautiful. The big dunes and you see the water. And it, I, just, I just love the coast. And we were driving along and I kept encouraging my family, hey, put your phone down. You're missing it. I mean, look around. This is amazing. And, and here's the danger. We are all guilty of missing the majesty because of the mundane. Don't let that be your Christmas in 2023, amen? Don't miss the majesty of the birth of Christ because you're so distracted by just stuff that won't matter 10 years from now. Take time and be still and say, Jesus, you're worthy of my worship, you're worthy of my praise, you're worthy of my bended knee, you're worthy of my surrendered heart, you're worthy. That's the kind of worship that we see in the Magi. And it is inspiring. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Celebrate this Christmas by bowing your knee and your heart before our wonderful Savior. I think that's... A great challenge for me, and a great challenge for you as we step into the beginning of this, this month. As we step into this celebration of Christmas, would you celebrate Christmas on your knees?